0: This is East Carolina Offensive Coordinator Donnie Kirkpatrick. We are talking one of my favorite things, hired football and the sports objectives.
1: What is going on Pirate Nation? Welcome into the Sports Objective. Today we're talking Pirate football. The first week of camp is in the books and we'll discuss that more during the second half of the show but on this first half we'll be focused on what will be the Pirates eighth game of the 2023 schedule. They'll be heading out to the Alamo Dome to take on the UTSA Roadrunners and well, what a tremendous amount of success Jeff Trailer and the Roadrunners have had in recent seasons, and to discuss that and more, welcome in for the first time the publisher and producer of the Alamo Audible, and that is Jared Kamis. Jared, we appreciate your time this afternoon. Hey, absolutely! Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, what a tremendous amount of success in the coach Trailer and the Roadrunners have had—23 wins, two Conference USA titles over the last two seasons. Just an unbelievable player at quarterback in Frank Harris. Uh, What a redshirt, super, super senior now. uh, Having been there seven years, um, we as Pirate fans, you know, uh, with Holt Naylor's moving on, going to be very weird to to have someone else uh, behind center. But uh, now um, the Roadrunners once again have Frank Harris. But uh, before we talk this team specifically, let's just talk the big picture with UTSA coming into the American Athletic Conference. I uh, know that fan base has to be excited about the move and just talk about the growth of that program cuz this is just the 13th year that UTSA will have played football.
2: Yeah, it's been nuts. I mean, I I've been around since literally the first practice. I was at the first practice and when I was a student, you know, just seeing the growth, uh, you know, not just over the 13 years but specifically the last 3 years um has been insane. I think a lot of people in San Antonio and, you know, across the nation always saw UTSA as like a sleeping giant or whatever, you know, you hear that term thrown a lot for G5 programs. And uh, even the true believers amongst us always thought this was like 20, 30 years out. Um, But to see it happen so quickly is, is really crazy. Uh, No doubt about it. And, you know, Jeff trailer, huge part of that. He's been an amazing coach for UTSA and, you know, his ability to connect with the community uh, has paid a lot of dividends and the administration just like, so on board uh, with football, like roadrunner fans are very, very blessed to have um, this whole apparatus, you know, not even just the coach, the AD, university president, but also the whole city of San Antonio is, you know, so um, in UTSA's corner to, to help them, you know, as much as they can to realize the success. So it's, it's been a bit of a rocket ship and, you know, hopefully they're able to keep that steady and just keep the rise as they move into the AC.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, one of the things that stands out to me about this UTSA program is that um, in just year three of existence, Um, Back then in uh, 2013, uh, you sold close to 15,000 season tickets. Yes, there has been a dip in recent years, as has been the case around the country for many programs, uh, East Carolina included. But um, just talk about the support that the the San Antonio community in that city provide. It's almost like an NFL franchise, if, Mm -hmm. if you will.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's one of the coolest things about the UTSA fan base is uh, how many of the most diehard fans did not go to UTSA. Uh, it's really unique in that, you know, I guess you could call them T-shirt fans or whatever, uh, but have that for a G5 team is is almost unheard of, really. Um, I don't know if like UCF or Boise have, have had that in their history, but, you know, being in a city of the size of San Antonio and having no pro team there. Um, you know, a lot of people, they grow up Aggie fans, Longhorn fans or whatever, but they don't have the personal connection to those programs like they might have for utsa where they might bump into a coach or a player you know at the grocery store or they definitely have neighbors that went there and stuff like that so the whole city is just really latched on and you know from the alumni and student perspective that's really interesting as well because utsa is such a young university it was founded in 1969 um, and only really grow to be a major university i would say like in the past 15 to 20 years or so uh, so super, super young fan base. Um, and, and that's interesting to see as well. And, and like, you kind of see, you, know, you forecast it out, the university keeps growing and the alumni base, you know, increases in age. It um, has more like disposable income and more progressions in their career and stuff like that. There There's still a lot of growth for UTSA to come in the coming years, I think.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Bubba kind of alluded to it with the NFL thing. I've always kind of viewed the way that the city of San Antonio has embraced UTSA. It's been much like an NFL expansion team, yeah. uh, going into a new market where you have fans that didn't attend the university, just people in the city uh, embracing it, which is fantastic. I wish you could see more of that in mm-hmm. college sports or schools like UAB, et cetera. Um, talk about—you mentioned how young the the, the university is and, and the in the amount of fans that aren't alums. Uh, without knowing my Texas geography wonderfully well, I know, you know, I have an idea of where San Antonio is. What is the next closest FBS program to uh, to UTSA?
2: Well, Texas State in San Marcos is maybe a thirty forty minute drive or something like that.
3: Okay, what well, um, power five?
2: Power five would be Austin uh, for UT, and that's how far is that? About
3: an hour, hour and a half drive. Okay, so it, it's it's close enough. Where I'm sure there are a lot of Longhorn fans,
2: mm-hmm. but yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of like secondary Roadrunner fans, and and that's an interesting debate. You know, I think in the early years, no one really paid much mind to that, but then they get on the field last season and it's a pretty close game for three and a half quarters. So (laughs) people are having to to choose their sides a little bit more closely than they used to in the past. So yeah, there's a lot of overlap
3: for sure. That's interesting. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how you guys continue to grow. Uh, You know, as we get into this year's team, I think you guys getting in the American with the television exposure. And uh, actually, before we get into this year's team, I want to talk about two things we talked about backstage and just get your Uh, Opinion on one, uh, on both. Uh, One would be the television exposure uh, with now moving to the American, much better television contract. You're going to get multiple ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU opportunities. There's even opportunities for some ABC opportunities in there Mm -hmm. potentially. Um, Talk about how you think that will affect your program. And then secondly, uh, we spoke backstage. uh, You mentioned not playing SMU until 27. I, I completely think not doing divisions in this league. I understand why with the new playoff format. Wanted to make sure the two best teams are playing for the conference championship. But I really believe this league in terms of creating rivalries would benefit from going to the, going to divisions and just wanted to get your thoughts on both of those.
2: Yeah. So I'll, I'll answer the second part first. So, uh, you know, it's interesting because there's, there's like the protected rivalry concept in, in the AAC scheduling where they do it out for several years, but there's one school that you're going back and forth with every year. Uh, for UTSA, that's Rice. And, you know, it's a good experience for the fans to play at Rice because uh, Houston, I think, is our second largest alumni base outside of San Antonio, and we'll have, you know, 10,000 fans in Rice Stadium for that, and it's, re- it's really cool. But is that best for developing the conference as a whole? Probably not. It's probably better for UTSA to play UNT or SMU, you know, every single year, right? Uh, but I'm I'm super in agreement that you got to do whatever you can to get the best team in the best position to get a playoff bid every year so you know i think maybe there's a scheduling change that kind of gets the best of both worlds uh, maybe you expand those protected games a little bit so it's a core of three or four teams that you're playing year in and year out um so d- i definitely see both sides of it there and you know i'm sure resco will tweak that as needed you know as, as the playoff format probably changes in the future and all that stuff um so we'll see how that turns out but for you fans it's still a way better schedule than they've had conference wise um ever so it's hard to complain too much from the roadrunner fan perspective <clears throat> and then to speak to your first question about the exposure uh man it was really frustrating being conference usa as i'm sure you guys can imagine because not only utsa but i'm mean, into the other part like fau had a great run you know um when link kiffin was there and uab has been a great team for a long time and then they just are not ever on national television and then you turn into that weekly game on cbs sports for conference usa and it's like you know, a five-win Middle Tennessee team that there's no one in the stands uh, playing against a Charlotte team that's you know not really done much of anything. Yeah, CBS Sports... USA. So the exposure was just backwards. It was like the worst teams were getting the most exposure on TV, which made the league as a whole look low quality. Yeah,
3: I was going. You mentioned that about CBS Force Network, which has limited distribution anyway. But right. they have a bad. I don't understand their their. They get first pick for conference USA. They're they're their primary partner, ESPN, a secondary. But CBS Sports Network has the thing they do with Conference USA, as I'm sure you know. Where they'll go ahead and choose all their games before the season starts mm-hmm. rather yep. than using a 12-game yep. window and picking the best game. Right. I,
2: I have made that argument so many times heading into the AAC. It's like you look at what the AAC does with, like, uh, especially that Thanksgiving weekend, right? So it's like UTSA and Tulane is probably going to be the game that gets selected, but I think it's like Memphis and SM, uh, Memphis and FAU is also an option for that week, like, depending on which matchup is is more engaging like which of those teams might be ranked heading into that week i mean that's just how every other sport does broadcast selection um so i i never really understood that from the conference usa perspective i don't know if they were more concerned about fairness uh exposure for the teams or whatever but it was a huge missed opportunity and there's so many uh, chances where conference usa could have put their best foot forward and we're not able to do so because that tv deal and that's not even getting into like getting on espn um, ESPN two and stuff like that. That's just purely like what programs you're choosing to put in the spotlight. So it's gonna be a huge change, um, you know, compared to conference USA.
1: A couple more big picture items before we dive into the 2023 Roadrunners. And I know you and I d- were discussing this uh, earlier this afternoon off the air. And uh, I was taking a look at the website, the Roadrunner Athletic Fund, um, UTSA's version of the Pirate Club, um, and then also, um, you're I know you're part of the Runners Rising Collective. The NIL of you know the team boneyard equivalent for UTSA, and then the athletic budget on Roadrunner Athletic uh, Fund, and that it had gone uh, the athletic budget that is from what 28 or 29 million to 40 million this year and 45 next year. So, if you would discuss that a little bit and how how rapidly UTSA and its athletics program is rising.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's really sudden for sure. Um, I think I, I just did the math earlier. And I think since the athletic director, Lisa Campos got to campus, operating budgets up like 45% or something like that, which is insane. And also you got to come on, there was zero TV money, you know, in those years of Conference USA, they were getting like a half million a year or something like that. And that hasn't even factored into the budget for the group owners yet. So getting access to, I think they're getting like three and a half million in year one from the AAC, and that will go up, you know, each year. Um so that's gonna be huge. Um, I think uh the program is still heavily subsidized by student fees, which I'm not sure how that compares to other AC programs. I know a lot of them have, you know, pretty hefty student fees, so that's still a big chunk, but we're definitely seeing more engagement from donors, um, both like alumni, but also just people around San Antonio that want to support the program, which is really cool. I think there's a lot of work to be done in the corporate space, you know, getting more engaged with some of those large employers in the San Antonio area. Um, but a lot, a lot of small business, especially in NIL. I mean, it's, it's been really cool. Like there's, a, uh, you guys probably don't know what a fruit is <laughs> and uh, at ECU, but, uh, just like a local, you know, Mexican candy fruit shop, you know, had an NIL deal with our Vanderbilt, uh, transfer running back. And, you know, they were on campus, you know, giving out, uh, stuff to the team as well. So it's just cool to see like all those small uh, businesses latch on to the NIL opportunity and and see the Roadrunners as like a legitimate marketing arm. Uh, as far as overall NIL collective spending, it's hard to say because there's three different uh, collectives that are all pretty active in San Antonio. So I'm a part of Runners Rising and we do all sports, but there's two others that are more focused heavily on football. And uh, I mean, all together, I don't know, I don't even want to hazard a guess, but uh it's i think it's really competitive for the g5 right it's not an smu level i wouldn't say but i i think for the g5 it's probably pretty high up there as far as know yeah,
3: total money raised yeah according to phil still you guys had the highest rated recruiting class uh, amongst the group of five so uh that speaks to your nil it has yeah. to and you mentioned about getting the larger businesses in san antonio involved <clears throat> i think we already spoke to what's going to cause that and that's the added tv exposure when they mm-hmm. see you on ESPN or ESPN two, they're going to want to get involved. Um, what is it? Just just one more quick question, and then we'll get into the twenty three uh, football season. Uh, what What is your enrollment at UTSA? Uh,
2: I think they're about 33,000. Okay. They typically go up and down, you know, one or two thousand a year. Uh, but they do have plans to expand the downtown campus to have five to six thousand students down there, and that would probably get them closer to the forty k range. Okay,
3: yeah, yeah, you can see the potential. It's just going to mm-hmm. keep, keep growing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, we, go ahead, Bob.
1: I was interested in that as well, Colin, before the show, and I the numbers I had found very similar to what Jared was saying. You know, I think it, they projected or said that in '22 it finished up at 34,000, and then this year it may get as high as 38,000. But um, one final uh, big picture question: and we've primarily focused on the football program. You know, talk about the other athletics uh, teams within that program and ma- making the transition to the American maybe maybe we should stick to football
2: uh no i'm joking
1: um yeah so uh, baseball's really
2: strong i think you guys will be really happy uh with the baseball program you know ECU's baseball powerhouse uh facilities are uh, less than a high school right so that that needs some serious work um and you're gonna see that for a lot of the olympic sports at utsa Uh, soccer is coming off a conference USA championship and they have a really nice facility. They actually, they've had a, uh, an on-campus, you know, stadium there for a while, just opened up a field house facility for them and track uh, like three weeks ago. Uh, So that's a huge part of the puzzle right there. Uh, Women's basketball is kind of on the rise. They have Karen Aston, who was the head coach at UT Austin for a long time and she's made an immediate impact, but she stepped into a really bad situation uh, as far as roster composition goes. Um, So she's been absolutely killing it, the recruiting trail and, we're seeing that team getting better and better. Men's basketball, um, in a, in a pretty gnarly state right now, for sure. Uh, so we'll see uh, how that pans out. But uh, that's uh, uh, let's just say uh, I was looking forward to Penny Hardaway coming to the Convocation Center, but looks like they avoided that on the schedule. Men's basketball is in a really bad spot right now.
1: Historically, at East Carolina, we can relate. Uh, fortunately, things appear to be trending up under. Mike Schwartz uh, entering his second year. Um, we were looking forward to hopefully getting Florida Atlantic at home. But uh, un- unfortunately, that, that will not happen this year. But um, on the whole, you know, Pirate basketball does appear to be trending up. And you know, Shifting to this Roadrunner team, and we've referenced him a time or two already. Frank Harris, um, standout quarterback. And tell us what makes him so great. The the lefty that uh, in the last two years alone has thrown for over 7,200 yards and run for about 1,200.
2: Yeah, uh, man, he a, a lot of stuff makes Frank special. Um, I would say first and foremost, his ability to get out of the pocket with his legs is elite. You know, he's not the fastest guy in the world, straight line speed, but he's pretty elusive and does a really good job of kind of like reading defenders. Um, and that, that applies in passing game as well. You know, so he's pretty good at avoiding turnovers. He doesn't have a cannon of an arm, but he can get it downfield. You know, there might be a bit more of an arc to it uh, than you would see from, you know, a pocket passer uh, like a Michael Pratt at Tulane. But, you know, he does get the ball there for the most part. He's got some really talented wideouts uh, that help him out as well. But, you know, with him being in the program for as long as he has, I mean, he's like a second coach out there. You know, he can really run the offense on his own, Um, you know, audibles and line of scrimmage and stuff like that. So just a really dynamic, special player.
3: Jared, uh, as as Bubba knows, and, and you'll learn uh, if you become a regular on the show. I'm horrible with names, so you're gonna have to forgive me. Uh, you you your your running back graduated uh, the best in school history. Uh, what was his name, just for reference? And
2: sincere since McCormick.
3: Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what do you guys have coming back? I know mean, you got some transfers. Kid from Vanderbilt that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's the running game looking like this year? Yeah, definitely.
2: So uh, sincere actually graduated the year before last. So last year. Okay, I
3: apologize.
2: Yeah, yeah, no worries. Uh, So last year, Brendan Brady was uh, another super senior that stepped in. Always had injury troubles during his career, and unfortunately that played out last year as well. Um, And and there were several more injuries. I think UTSA had like three or four running backs that were in the injury room at some point last year. So they kind of turned to a true freshman. or uh, He might have been a redshirt, but uh, Gavorian Barnes is from a really tiny town out in East Texas. Was not highly recruited. I think Army was after him and – you know maybe one or two other texas fbs programs but no, no p5s no heavy hitters and he just played a really small low division of football but uh he just exploded on the scene um it was the newcomer of the year conference usa i think he might have been a freshman all-american if i remember correctly um but he looked great and he's put on about 10 pounds 20 pounds of muscle or something like that over the all season so he's you know undisputedly running back number one uh, depth behind him is super unproven they did get that Vanderbilt transfer Rock, Rocco Griffin that I mentioned earlier uh, he's looked great he he was very explosive in the, in the spring game and you know he didn't look that fast on the field at Vanderbilt playing against SEC defenses but you put him out there against you know uh, a G5 defense and he looks a lot faster for sure so I think he's gonna get a lot of carries I think he's gonna have a nice year um, they also signed the number one Juco running back Robert Henry uh, who's been dealing with some injury issues so we'll see if he's good to go um and then they signed uh the highest rated running back in, in program history out of the high school ranks um so he might get in the mix as well so we'll have to see but i, I think the run game should be pretty strong this year
1: i, I know uh, out wide you lose zakari franklin um mm-hmm. to the transfer portal um but you also have plenty of talent returning and tell us about um, what you have at receiver
2: yeah, definitely. So it was kind of a three-headed monster last year when Zachary was here, you know, until he he did hit the transfer portal. Uh, so Josh Stephis and J T. Clark are the two names to know there. Um, both of them are coming off injury. J T. is a little bit more severe than Josh's. Josh is at practice; he's good to go, but he's just kind of like a little, a uh, little banged up, I guess you could say. And then J T. had a really horrible lower leg injury against UAB last season, um, so he's at practice, but it's it's non-contact kind of stuff um it sounds like he's going to be good to go for week one against houston but you know he might be a little bit limited i think both of those guys are nfl receivers for sure um josh plays in the slot but he's six foot three so he's kind of unique he's got great hands uh he's excellent like those quick slants are in the middle for the first down uh that's really where he eats and he's really good you know after the catch as well um and then jt he's uh you know prototypical nfl possession receiver size uh he's six three but he looks even taller he's Chiseled, super super muscular. He's got great hops, amazing hands, and he's the deep threat. You know they love to throw that fade to him in the end zone, um, and most of the time he's going to come down with it. Both guys are great blockers as well, so really strong there. And they have some young guys that look really talented as well. Uh, but you know it's just hard to
1: find snaps in that room because there's so much senior talent. Clearly, with the offensive production UTSA's had on the offensive line uh, has has been solid. But how do they look going into 23?
2: Man, honestly, that's what I'm most excited about. Um, last year was, <clears throat> it's amazing that UTSA did what they, they did last year with all the injuries they had on the offensive line. Uh, they were down to the starting tackles at one point being a sophomore walk-on and a converted defensive tackle. And they were playing, you know, Army UT Austin, right? And they, they were just absolutely thrown into the fire. Um, so they are able to get through that. Those guys are still there, but they went not got to incredible – uh, juco offensive tackles and daniel Okendipe who is a four star uh and then buffalo cruz who looks like he's already starting uh you know for in week one uh but those guys are next level athletes uh, definitely not the type of athlete we've seen on the offensive line at utsa before and then the depth on the interior is crazy uh they did graduate Ahufita Maka, who was i think a three-year starter and just a really really strong center um but they have a, a veteran interior lineman who's going to step into that role uh and the guard position just stacked so you know, God forbid the injury are as bad as last year, but if they were to be, UT's get in going to be in a much better spot.
1: was One of East Carolina's strengths um, is undoubtedly that defensive line, a lot of depth and not really a standout guy um, that we've had at times in the past. But I mean, Coach Houston has reiterated that a, a couple of times already in the first week of camp, just how how stout we've been in, in the trenches um, and, and how excited he is about that. So that should be a heck of a matchup in late October with um, that offensive line of UTSA against the ECU. <laughs> line.
2: Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm a huge believer in depth on the defensive line. I think that's one of the most underrated uh, things that kind of differentiates a good defense and a great one.
3: Yeah. I can't help you win championships for sure. And speaking of defensive lines, will we segue to your guys. Defensive line, uh, what, what, what do you look like there for the uh, 2023 Roadrunners?
2: Really similar to what Bubba described for ECU. Um, I think they're legitimately three deep at all three down lineman positions. Um, and then if we're going to include like kind of that edge rusher, um, so they'd have Trey Moore, who was an All-American freshman for UTSA as well, a local product. Um, I think he had 11 and a half sacks last year as a freshman, which is insane. Um, obviously, there were transfer opportunities for him out there, and he chose to stay in San Antonio. Uh, but the position across from him is kind of up in the air right now. There's some good athletes there. Um, and it looks like a guy might kind of be putting his foot down for that starting spot. But yeah, it's a, it's a really nasty front for UTSA for sure. Uh, there's a guy, Joe Evans, that transferred from LSU last season. He was hurt for most of last year, but when he was healthy, he was completely dominant. So if he's able to play a healthy 12 or you know 13 games or whatever this year, that's going to be a, a big difference maker for UTSA because you can really move that line of scrimmage.
1: Yeah, talk more about Trey Moore. Um, I see 6'3, 235 pounds uh, from San Antonio, and he set the school record for TFL's last year with 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nuts. Um <clears throat> he was not similar to
2: Cory Barnes, he was not anywhere close to one of the more heralded recruits in that class. Uh, but as soon as he got on campus, you just start hearing a lot of reports from coaches and and older players of how hard that guy was working, you know, uh through the offseason in the weight room and stuff like that. So he's just he's developed like to an insane degree coming compared to when he came out of high school. Uh, I think what makes him really good is his quickness. You know he he's got good pass rush moves. He d- does a good job using his hands. Uh, but his football IQ is way beyond his years. Um, in fact, I I do film breakdowns of all of UTSA's games, and yesterday I was looking at the film breakdown I did for the U season opener last year. And one of Trey Moore's first plays as a roadrunner was him, you know, fainting a blitz and then dropping back into coverage and then picking up, uh, I think it might have been Tank Dell that was coming across for a first down and and Trey Moore got the pass breakup as a freshman. And just one of those things that you kind of take for granted that, oh, that was a good play. Uh, But then you see this uh, season that he went on half and you're like, wow, that was like pretty indicative of the kind of player he's going to become. So it's really sad to see him continue to uh, develop. Go ahead, Kyle.
3: Okay, I was just gonna ask about the uh the rest of the defense overall, linebackers, the back end of the defense, safeties, corners, et cetera.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the front the front five, I guess you could say, those outside linebackers and the down linemen are definitely the strength. Uh inside linebacker, they return Jamal Ligon, who's been an all conference player for them and he's really, really strong. He'll be a four-year starter for UTSA. Uh, but that other interior linebacker position next to him is still undecided. Um, so I I think Avery Morris is probably gonna be the starter there, and he's been of developing into a strong player for utsa but hasn't really had a breakout performance yet um they do have some power five transfers that are going to compete in that role as well so we'll see if any of those guys went out um out wide they lost a tremendous cornerback Corey mayfield uh who is in camp with the ravens right now and had two interceptions in, in in camp yesterday so obviously it's a huge miss there um but they have some really strong players as well um nick Troy fortune transferred from West Virginia. And uh, he was a really, really strong cornerback for UTSA last year. We'll expect to uh, see him continue the same. Um, and then the other cornerback positions, kind of undecided. A lot of guys that were rotational last year, one of them's going to have to step up. Zay Frazier is probably the the pick there. So he was a four-star that signed with Kentucky. And then before practicing gonna start at Kentucky, he transferred to UTSA. Uh, so kind of a unique situation there. But I think that cornerback position will work out. I'm more concerned about the safety room. Uh, safety is a been an issue at UTSA for a while. Uh, they have a really strong all-conference player, Rashad Wisdom, who uh, typically handles like, kind of the strong safety role. But uh, the depth there is is very unproven. Um, I would say definitely the weakest position on the roster as far as depth goes. Uh, so we'll have to see how that turns out. Because, I mean, there's a lot of great passing offenses in the AC. So, you know, might be some shootout for the woodrunners uh, for teams that can sling the ball
3: around the yard. A, a good D-line can, can make weak safeties look a lot better.
2: Yeah, and that was the concern last year, because I didn't know where the pass rush was gonna come for. Uh sorry, come from. And then Trey Moore just comes out of nowhere and, you know, sets the program record for tackles for loss. So um, you know, if he's able to keep that up, I think they'll be okay. But um definitely a lot of communication errors the past two years in the back end of that secondary. So that to get cleaned up for sure.
1: Last year, Jared, East Carolina certainly had some woes in the special teams phase, not so much in the you know, the coverage units or the return game, but uh, the you know the the kicking the the PAT field goal operation left a lot to be desired, and then also unable to really flip the field the way you would like on on punts. So, um, you tell us about the UTSA special teams. Sure.
2: Um, so punt is in really good hands. So Lucas Dean returns. He's been an all conference player for UTSA for what feels like forever. I feel like he's been here as long as Frank Harris has. I don't know. Uh, but I, I imagine he'll be one of the top hunters in the conference uh, from day one of the AAC. Uh, the kicking game is a whole different story. So UTSA has had two really strong kickers uh, over the past couple of seasons at Hunter DePlessis and Jared Sackett. Uh, but now, you know, it's kind of up in the air of who's going to take that place kicking role. Um, I think they just got a transfer from like Alabama or somewhere like that. I, I don't know if he kicked where he came from. That's a pretty recent development. Uh, but I would say kicking goodies are, are completely undecided right now. And that's another one of the biggest concerns that I have for this team is just what that's going to look like. Because, um, you know, if you can't consistently get that 35-yard field goal, that's going to lose you some games for sure.
3: Well, hopefully you guys won't need a 35-yard field goal in week one as you take on the Houston Cougars. <laughs> Last year, that game went into overtime down in San Antonio. This year is at Houston. Now, yeah, y'all are in the American. They're in the Big 12. I'm calling that. I don't know what the spread is on that game. I have to check. I'm assuming it's obviously already out. Yeah, it's uh, like Houston by
2: two or something like that.
3: Okay, I'm, I'm calling the Roadrunners in the week one upset. I'm taking it straight up. Don't take the points, Bet it straight up. <laughs> Roadrunners are going to go into Houston and get a big win for the league.
2: Love it. Love it. Love the optimism, Kyle. I feel pretty good about it. Uh, it's going to be an outdoor game in Houston and on September 2nd, so it's going to be super warm. No doubt, but it definitely feels like the road runners are, are still kind of trending upwards, and you know, things have been a little bit shaky under Dana at U of H. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. But you know, if, if I have a seventh-year quarterback against a new starter for another team, I'm probably going to pick the seven-year returner if those teams seem to be as equal as UTSA and U of H were last year.
3: Yeah, you know, Houston all they're going to be thinking about is that Big 12 schedule. They ain't got time for no road runners.
1: <laughs> the uh, the other games. In the non-conference, you have Texas State at home in week two, Army at home in week three, and then the final week of September, well, excuse me, the next to last uh, week of September because you're open the final weekend in September. Um, so on September 23rd, you travel to uh, Rocky Top, take on the Big Orange. Uh, and I know your fan base has to really be fired up about that opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I,
2: I have someone text me every week asking, like, where, where can they find a hotel in, in Knoxville? The answer is, like, there aren't any. It's too late. You should have booked you know, three months ago. But yeah, I mean, overall, it's a really sweet out-of-conference lineup for UTSA. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Texas State is traditionally our primary rival in athletics. It hasn't really played out that way in football just because Texas State just really has not been competitive. Um, so UTSA has dominated that series, but it's still going to be a great crowd. I mean, there'll probably be 40,000, if not more, in the Almodov for that game. Um, and then san antonio is a huge military hub so anytime you know an armed service team is is in san antonio it's going to be a big crowd so really excited about that one and tennessee is a heck of a challenge you know it's it's a great opportunity i think for utsa to prove like they're ready for that next jump right because i mean they've feasted on conference usa competition for the past couple of years but you haven't seen them have that big breakout win against a strong power five program or even against a ranked opponent you know utsa hasn't beat a ranked opponent uh ever Right, so it's going to be a great opportunity, and you know it's, it's going to be a tough game for sure, but it's going to be a great experience for the fans that are traveling and the players themselves for sure.
3: If you need a hotel, um, obviously people from North Carolina are more familiar with East Tennessee, uh, by and large, people from, from uh, Texas. But uh, if you can't find a hotel in Knoxville, uh, Gatlinburg, Kitchen, Forge, Sevierville are full of them, and uh, a lot of fun things to do there. Oh, yeah, I've been you there. Go stay there and, drive the, and make the drive up to Knoxville.
2: Yeah,
1: it's a beautiful drive
3: too. Definitely.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And speaking of, uh, you know, hotels and things to do and so forth, uh, I know some East Carolina friends of mine uh, are going to be making the trip out to San Antonio there in the, the final week of October. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot make the trip, definitely, and would like to in the future. But, uh, you know, um, provide the information that you can, you know, whether whether it's parking, you know, hotels, uh, obviously plenty to do.
2: Mm-hmm well i mean first off i think any any that make the trip or are, are, can have a great time i mean and even outside the football aspect San is a great travel destination and you know the mexican food is amazing obviously barbecue is great um but with them playing in the alamo dome you're walking distance from a riverwalk hotel right so I, I would recommend you know parking at the hotel and uh you know if you're not it's like maybe a mile walk depending where you stay so you know if you want if you don't want to do a mile walk you can get one of those like rentable scooters or just take an uber um because parking at the album is pretty tough um i was talking to you guys before we started recording they, they sell out the parking passes you know as soon as they go on sale every single year and there's cash lots that you can get you know close by but you know if, if you're staying I, I would recommend staying in the road walk and just walking or taking a scooter over uh the tailgating scene is unreal i mean you guys would be shocked at, at how strong tailgating is at utsa and it has been since year one we might be new to football but we're not new to tailgating People have been tailgating Glonghorn Games and the Alamo Bowl and all of that for decades. Uh, So that's one area that we're certainly uh, Power 5 ready. And it's like two massive lots right next to the Alamo Dome. So not a lot of schools have that great of a setup for tailgating. So I I think folks would be impressed. Um, And definitely eat at Pinkerton's Barbecue if you can. Um, I know it's a different kind of barbecue than you guys are used to in the Carolinas, but uh, it's it's high-quality stuff for sure.
3: Pinkerton's Barbecue, what's the best uh, Mexican place? Give me I top always tell people,
2: just find any place that has like Jalisco in the name, and you're, you're going to be happy. Um, as far as downtown goes, I don't know. Um, I don't don't really go out on the Riverwalk too much for Mexican food because it's a little bit more, uh, more more corporate kind of chain type stuff. But I would just recommend the hole in the wall taqueria is is okay. usually the way to go.
3: All right, Bob, you got anything else?
1: No, Jared, uh, r- really appreciate your time. I Actually, one of our viewers did have something for you, though. Uh, Justin Butts chiming in uh, via Facebook this afternoon. And uh, he actually has a, a couple questions here for you. And first, uh, since we're discussing different restaurants and so forth, and he says, I want to know where I can get a good steak in San Antonio. A good steak?
2: Uh, okay, okay, hold on. I got to Google it because I forgot. Uh, but my buddies took me off for like a mini bachelor party and downtown, uh, let me let me Google and remember what the name of that place <laughs> was, because uh, it was really really freaking good.
1: All right, so uh, and, and while you're here
2: he's he's got it. I got it. I got it. Bohannon's Prime Steaks and Seafood. It's downtown. It's right up the Riverwalk. Amazing service. Great steak. You won't go wrong.
3: Bohannon's. All right.
2: I do recommend getting a reservation though.
3: Get a reservation. Recum- a a reservation. Recum- get. I can't even say it. Get a reservation, Justin. They they might not even let Justin Butts in. he was a reservation.
1: So there you go. Bohannon's Prime Steaks and Seafood. Uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, j Dog chimes in on YouTube saying the Riverwalk is awesome. Been there many times. And then Justin also wanted to get your thoughts on realignment and uh, everything that's going on with the Pac-12 shrinking from, from 12 to 4.
2: Yeah, it's been crazy uh, and a little sad also uh, to see such a historic conference like the pack just essentially disintegrate overnight. But it's kind of the world we live in, I guess. Um, I guess like my prediction for what happens next, I, I think the most likely outcome is usually the one that's going to happen. And that's the pack and the Mountain West just merging. Um, but I could see like Cal and Stanford kind of turning their nose up at that and, and going independent as well. I'll, so we'll I'll tell see. you an
3: interesting thought. Yep. So my Stanford turning their nose up. Uh, you yeah, not heard it. You haven't heard it yet, but it's going to be coming. Stanford ain't going to want to play in a conference with anybody in the Mountain West outside of Air Force. Uh, But they probably wouldn't mind playing in a conference for thrice and Tulane and SMU uh, just based on what they are and what those schools are. So just keep that in mind. It would not surprise me to see a pitch to try to get those four to join the American and then two more from the Mountain West to go to 20. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. Uh, And you got to keep in mind, Stanford and Cal,
2: like turning their nose up at like less academic institutions, is what got mm-hmm. them into this mess in the first place because they yep. did not want to take those like Texas schools. They could have had TCU. They could have had U of H. You know, even yep. after they failed to get UT and OU. Um, so I, I definitely think that's that's a le- legitimate opportunity. But I think what's going to be the catch is the exit fees are so high for both the Mountain West and the AAC, and that TV deal is just not going to be enough money to be worth the exit fee. So I don't know. No, no. I no, I've
3: mean, been four are coming here. I think those four are coming here with two from the Mountain West.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I can see that for sure. Uh, especially the Pac is willing to eat some of those exit fees for the Mountain West because they, they're they going to have some money in the golfers, you know, once all the realignment shakes out.
3: So we'll see. No, I, I don't think the Pac 12 is going to survive. I, I I think we're saying it two different ways. I, I think the Pac 12, I don't think you can see American and Mountain West teams join the Pac 12. I think the Pac 12 is going to be gone. And those, I, we'll see how it plays out. But, I'm I'm in agreement. I don't think they're going to want, I don't think Pac-12 fans are going to be okay with just merging with the Mountain West. They're going to want something else. And I think a true coast to coast league could, uh, could be appealing to them and and probably get all of us some decent television money.
2: Yeah. I think the, the the best of the rest model, so to speak, makes a lot of sense. And I I think on a long enough timeline, that's what it's going to turn into. It might not be until 2026, 2027, something like that. Uh, But I think at some point in time, that's going to be the reality.
1: And, Jared, we have one more comment or in question here from Robert Dedrick. said he got here late, and he apologized if you already discussed this, but he said does UTSA still have that monster tight end, number mm-hmm. nine? It's like 280 pounds and very athletic.
2: Yeah, that's Oscar Cardenas, and he, he's returning. He might have another year after this one. I'm not sure. Uh, but, yeah, his ability to move at, at that weight is, is nuts. I mean, he's an elite blocker. And it's not that he's like a massive threat in, in the passing game, but he just comes up clutch you know, every time UTSA needs that big play, he somehow finds a way to get open and, and come down with some crazy catch. Um, so hopefully see him use more in the passing game this year. Uh, you know, we'll see how that shakes out with Sakari out. They might look to to Cardenas more often this year, but uh, yeah, he's definitely a, a big difference maker for UTSA for sure.
1: Well, certainly appreciate the visit, Jared. Um, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, spending about 40 minutes with us. And, you know, before we let you go, you know, talk about, the Alamo audible tell folks how they can tune in, whether it's on podcast platforms or otherwise. And then also, you know, underdog dynasty and, um, and, and then, um, you know, tell them about what you do with runners rising.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll go in reverse order, I guess. So for runners rising, I'm the director of technology. So I manage all the backend technology stuff. I built our website um, and just to kind of help with automation to keep our operations really lean and all of that good stuff. And then for Underdog Dynasty, I was co-manager there for several years and still kind of pitch in with articles if I have something that wouldn't really make sense for Alamo Audible. Um, Like, I I like to cover the UTRGV program that's starting up down there uh, on the border. So sometimes I'll, you know, pitch in an article like that or, or, you know, something fun. Um, And then for Alamo Audible, we kind of do a bit of everything. So we've been covering the football program since... I think 2016, um, primarily a podcast with myself and my co-host, Adrian Bermudez. Uh, but we also have a dedicated baseball member now who does baseball coverage on what uh, we we'll call it around the birdbath. Um, I've got a soccer episode dropping tomorrow. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel, um, a lot of written content on there. So yeah, I mean, it's we we, get, we got it. We got all our bases covered. Just trying to get more sports in as much as possible. So yeah. Hopefully uh, the listeners will give us a follow at Alibu Audible and check out our content there. We're going to start season preview uh,
1: Wednesday. Definitely will. Familiar with the podcast. When we'll subscribe to YouTube here um, following the show, but appreciate the visit. Appreciate the wealth of information. Best of luck to the Roadrunners this year, with, with the exception of their the, the final week of October. And we'll probably catch up with you game week. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. There you have Jared Kalmus. He is with the Alamo Audible. Uh, appreciate his information about the UTSA Roadrunners. Um, definitely a, a very good addition to the American.
3: Yeah, no doubt. I, uh, I, of all the schools we brought in, the only negative to UTSA to me is how far it is from Greenville. But uh, certainly a school that uh, you, you don't mind joining the conference from a from – a, they, they've had so much success in short, such a short period of time. They already have a fan base. Uh, that they, they when you talk media markets, I don't like to do that, but in this case, I think it applies because they are the only the only pro team the only pro team in a city that large is the Spurs. So UTSA gets a lot of attention there. Um, I think it's I think it's the best addition of all the schools that are added to the American. I think UTSA is the best addition by far for football. Uh-huh. Certainly, yep. Ford Atlantic uh, for basketball uh you w- w- would 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 be the other
1: yeah definitely agree and um obviously UAB has had a lot of on the field success in recent years under Bill Clark yeah. um and their their support has definitely improved from what it was I want to definitely
3: has said again Stadium definitely has. Yeah, definitely
1: <laughs> totally different uh, venue there as, as the Pirates found out playing there against Coastal Carolina in the Birmingham Bowl this year as opposed to the old Legion Field, um, which was um, an interesting venue to visit. Um, you know, I remember initially going there back in 2006 for the Papa Johns.com Bowl against South Florida, and it was something I looked forward to, but at the same time, um, it had had more than uh, past its prime uh, to say the least. And, and that new stadium was desperately needed.
3: Yeah. I had a conversation with two boys, uh, Eric Kirk in the uh, Eric Church Cody Jenkins concert Friday night in Raleigh that had made the drive up from uh, near Auburn and they're huge Auburn fans. And uh, we, we had a conversation about the Birmingham bowl. They watched it last year and ha- had been, you know, when Auburn had won in previous years and talked about, you know, just what an improvement that was, uh, for the bowl game and, and UAB to have that new stadium and the downtown area and and, and all that versus the old gray lady Legion field. And, and just, you know, these are Auburn fans making those comments. So uh, uh, huge improvement for UAB.
1: As you see there on the bottom of the screen for our viewers and for our listeners, um, it is uh, an ad for East Carolina football season tickets. And we were just over 14,000 last year. We were 15,835. So um, you know, roughly 1,700 shy of where we were a season ago. I think to be exact now, we're 14,200 you know, per John Gilbert uh, as of a couple days ago. So a little disappointing. I can't say I'm totally surprised, but hopefully Pirate fans, um, they're always those that are waiting to the last minute yeah. to do things. So hopefully in these next three to four weeks, we'll have a strong push and um, you know, may, maybe sell more than we did a year ago. Hopefully,
3: uh, can we move eight hundred and get to fifteen thousand? Uh, do Do you know what those upper deck season ticket prices are? I was wondering if we could do anything to try to, uh, you know, cut some deals here late to get more people to buy the season tickets.
1: Yeah, I'll um I'll confirm this, and uh, I want to say that the um
3: there's a value the, area that's like in that, the corner.
1: Yeah, you have those that section or two uh, where. Uh, Last year, with seven games, it was up to 125. I think it, that's back down to 99, the fan zone.
3: There you and go. I mean, those have got to be sold out. If you're on the – and none of our viewers are going to be on the fence. But if, if you are, if you know people that are on the fence, the casual fans, maybe you're just new to Greenville looking for something to do, tell them about that fan zone, $99 season tickets. You know, you, you that's that's six Saturdays worth or five Saturdays, one Thursday, worth of entertainment yeah. for $100. You can't beat that.
1: 115, I misspoke. It's, well, um, still, you know, can't beat it. Yeah, you can't beat that. And I'm 15 bucks. And so, and th- but then you have the upper sideline if you want to be in the – if you don't mind being in the upper deck and you're, you're – because that's where I sat. I had my season ticket there back in 2021. Um, and just a variety of reasons. I, my season ticket was not where my parents was um, on the on the, um, south side of the stadium right there in front of Town Bank Tower, but 100 and 165 for the upper sideline. I was the lower part of the upper deck right at the 50-yard line. You know, you can't beat it. Very good seat. Um, yes, compared to some upper decks, yes, it is um, pretty high, but at the same time, it's uh, it's, it's a very good seat, and the depth perception isn't isn't as um, awkward, And for lack of a better way of putting it, like, like I was um, down at Clemson back. Years ago, when the Panthers were playing there back in the mid-90s, that's the only time I've been to a game in Death Valley. And you would see passes you would think that were overthrown and be right on the money.
3: Start your head to the left and watch the scoreboard.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and then the lower-level sideline, um, 260, and then Pirate Club chair back, uh, 325. But, yeah, plenty of, plenty of um, excellent options available, I'm sure, in, in the upper deck or otherwise – so, call 1 800. Yeah, I just
3: kind of think we, the, the people that are going to get the chair backs, et cetera, those are bought. Oh, yeah. 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 So, I was me, just throwing that in
1: there. But, yeah, yeah those people have, um, by and large, renewed or they, they know they have it renewed and they'll be taking care of that, hopefully. But, yep. uh, yeah, for the most part, uh, you're, you're looking at those uh, other two price ranges that uh, you mentioned, Kyle. Um, also, um, you know, like I mentioned a couple of times with Jared, obviously the first week of camps in the books, four practices for Mike Houston and the Pirates. And I know you've had the opportunity as I did to listen to some of Coach Houston's post practice remarks uh from days one and four. Yeah. Uh, wh- what were some of your takeaways?
3: Uh he, he, he talked about working special teams, I noticed yesterday, getting as much live. He didn't say it, but he implied that we're doing more live reps of special teams than we have in the past during ball camp. he talked about wanting to get as many live or special teams as we possibly can uh he talked about the competition amongst kickers were very was very strong uh he he, you you can tell he is very bullish on two things uh his his defense as a whole and his running game uh and he also seemed very optimistic about the offensive line i think the question marks on this football team are at quarterback and receiver Uh, um Bubba, talk about you know i'm always horrible with names um what you took away from the comments about receivers and some of the transfers, uh, not knowing how to practice yet, and kind of what your takeaways were from that.
1: Yeah, Coach Houston uh, really emphasized on how how strong those returning guys, the Shane Calhoun at tight end, and then also Josiah Hatfield, um, Jalen Johnson, and then uh, Kerry King. They've been very solid, those four. Uh, then you have Brock Spalding. Uh, he and Jari Patterson have also have been performing very well, but and then he said those other guys, to Chase, so well, um, Keelan Robinson, the transfers from Colorado and Kansas, respectively, that they really need to uh, to continue to come along. And he thinks that they will. And he said it's not a matter of um, you know, them, you know, not being competitive and not putting forth the effort. It's just. It's, it's clear that they haven't had as many reps with Mason Garcia and Alex Flynn as those other six that I referenced.
3: I picked up a little bit also just talking about the way people practice at other places. And I picked up a little bit of uh challenging guys without calling them out uh, in those press conferences. Um, I do not know if you kind of picked up the same thing.
1: Definitely did. Um, he, he, he called out uh, some of those transfer portals, um, and transfers and guys that the pirates plucked out of the transfer portal, you know, and he did reference a couple specifically, but I, I will say that um, this is one that he did not mention in that light was Ra Dilworth. He he talked about yeah. how Ra like, Ra Dilworth, it, um, he's definitely proving to be the real deal and um, you know performing very well through the first four practices.
3: And where did Ra come from? Remind me.
1: He came from North Carolina. Uh, he, okay. he was he was one of I guess three um, transfers from the University of North Carolina. Uh, you also had Tamir Brown and um, D. I'm trying to draw a blank on the last name, um, but um, a couple of other you know defensive backs, uh, a safety, and a corner. In addition to oh. Dilworth, who's uh, an outside linebacker.
3: He seems to be very uh, D. D Nash. D. Nash. He seems to be very. Um... Very happy with the back end of the defense, which we lost a lot off of, but it didn't perform very well last year anyway. Uh, he seems to like our size back there a lot.
1: Yeah, he definitely does. Uh, he He's made numerous comments about the improved length and athleticism and speed. Um, we, we've been very good against the run. And now, you know, with the uh, improved length and athleticism, uh, he he thinks that we'll be able to defend the pass better. Um, we'll have the opportunity, as Coach Harold told us when he came on with us back a, a month or a little over a month ago now, um just, you know, what we're able to, to do um because we're, you know, two or three inches taller and faster compared to what we were in twenty twenty two.
3: He alluded. To, uh, somebody asked him a question about the defense falling off at the second half of last year, and uh, he alluded to a bit of a scheme change. Didn't give any details, but I found that interesting. Do you know anything about that, Bubba? Uh, not,
1: not exactly. I, I I think some of it may be what I was referencing. And uh, he he to be clear on what Coach Houston said at his post practice press conference, he said it was twofold. Um, one was personnel, and they certainly addressed that through the portal. And the other was scheme. And, and otherwise, and then and then the other was scheme. And with the scheme, uh, he didn't, didn't elaborate a lot. But I would say that uh, what I mentioned regarding playing more main coverage and then maybe mm-hmm. bringing a little more pressure than we did a year ago. Because as we saw up in Philly at Lincoln Financial, uh, we, we just got picked apart uh, by E.J. Warner.
3: Yeah, and and they kind of saw what Houston did to us and duplicated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, the offense decided to show up against Temple, unlike uh, they did against Houston, and we won the shootout. But uh, no, I, I think this is going to be pretty good this year. I think it'll be interesting to see. I think special teams will be approved. I think defense will be approved. And and, and I got a feeling in the running game we're going to be just as good as we were last year. I think it's going to all come down to quarterbacks or receivers on how good this football team can be and uh, managing um, the schedule. Uh, you know, is, is uh, is, is another tall task because uh, you know, I don't, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about what I feel about um, going to divisions. Um, you know, Bubba and I, and I don't know, maybe some of the listeners, I think people overthink things sometimes and they and they went with this with this no division format because of the playoffs changing to 24. And it, it, it sometimes, you know, I think. <laughs> The winner of your two best, the winner of the divisions in this league would probably be your two best teams, regardless. And I, you know, you 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 think, okay, well, we're not going to do divisions, so it gives guys or teams a better chance to um uh, to have the two highest ranked teams playing. But but then you you put SMU where they got to go on a short trip. I was playing a game on Saturday, and they got to come to Greenville and play on a Thursday night, and they're one of the conference favorites. And you talk about a good way to get upset after we're coming off of an off week. And, uh, you know, they're coming here on a Thursday night. Uh, You know, you you do things like that. That's a long trip for a Thursday night game. I I really believe this conference, and I think it would help with season tickets, fan engagement, et cetera, if we would go to divisions. I would much rather be playing Memphis, South Florida, Florida Atlantic, Charlotte, you know, Navy or UAB, depending on where you would put Navy, et cetera, than, than UTSA, SMU, Rice, and Tulsa. And I think they would also, on the flip side, be rather be playing each other. I, I just, I don't think this current format of the American is going to work. I think you're going to have to tweak it uh, and go to divisions. If we stay at 14, uh, who knows what's going to happen with we'll conference realignment? But as the league sits now, I desperately think
1: we need to go to divisions. Yeah, that was mind-boggling to me when Jared said that UTSA will not play SMU anywhere until 2027.
3: Correct in football.
1: That, that's, yeah, correct. Yeah, in football. I mean, that, that blew my mind when he said that.
3: Yeah, it's, it's nuts. And and if so, if we're going to play, so, so, yeah, so, so all right. So you think about that. We're going to, we're in the same boat. Uh, we're going to play. Um, so evidently, the cycle is uh, four seasons of home and away, I guess. So we'll, we'll, we'll have what we have this year home and away for the next four years. So, or the next four seasons. So, uh, tw- uh, Twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six. So that means we won't play Memphis or Temple or South Florida again until twenty-seven. Think about that, Bubba. Yep.
1: Yeah, that's that's, that's crazy. not gonna work.
3: That's not gonna work. It, I, I I I'll make a guarantee right now. If this league stays as it is, we will go to divisions before twenty-seven gets here. It's just I agree. not gonna work.
1: I, I will not be surprised at all. I think I think um, they'll see that that. Was a mistake, uh, and uh, like you mentioned, the the history that exists between between uh, the Tigers and Pirates, uh, g- going back to 1990, uh, or maybe even the, the late 80s, but um, definitely played in 1990, I know. And uh, yeah, back back in the old Memphis State days,
3: 91. You know that that was our first win of the season after lost yeah. Illinois.
1: They were coming off a, a win. You at, went over at, UCLA. Uh,
3: yeah, over um USC. USC. I thought it was UCLA. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I was, still, I was still. I was still pretty damn close going off memory. Uh, oh, yeah. But uh, you yeah, know, not
1: everybody's uh, as sick as me in that regard. But, exactly. uh, but go, go ahead. What? You yeah,
3: I, I just just that's just it. Just just I, I'm. Sure, I don't know how uh, if other fans have thought about it, but it's just. It's just mind-boggling to me. And I mentioned it to Gilbert, and he said, well, he doesn't see a benefit. He doesn't see a a benefit into playing rival schools and trying to create rivals with schools that aren't in your immediate region. He doesn't – basically, he didn't see a difference between playing UTSA and Tulsa than playing Temple and Memphis, and I say BS.
1: Yeah, I I definitely – on one hand, I see see where he's coming from, but at the same time, um, you – you damn sure
3: can't just hop in the car and drive to San Antonio. You can but, to Philadelphia.
1: Right. Yep, yeah, No doubt. Uh, what, about seven hours or something like that from Greenville? Is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, but as far as uh, East Carolina and Memphis are concerned, I mean, obviously. Um,
3: and great football uh, games.
1: Yeah. G- great football games. Um, we had a stretch where we dominated them, and then um, they had a stretch in the early 2000s when the Pirates were down, where they dominated us. But um, all in all, um, you know, behind East Carolina and, and Navy, UTSA, you know, or or actually depending on the year, they're right there on the Memphis city I mean, of Memphis. They they really support that program pretty pretty well um, when they're uh, competitive.
3: Yeah, no doubt, and it's just, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse here, but, yeah, who knows, Bob, I, I really don't think this conference is going to stay as it is, Well, what's going on with the Pac-12, et cetera, but if it does, you got to do it, you, you got to switch your divisions. But, yeah, what else do we need to talk about, uh, we can uh, move on from that.
1: Yeah, shifting away from football, uh, wanting to mention, you know, some uh, excellent news, you know, from former Pirate baseball players, some um, you had, you have Lane Hoover, Carter Spivey, and then also Ben Torwilliger, who's been performing very well for the Florence Yaws in independent baseball uh, just south of Cincinnati, there in northern Kentucky. Uh, you have um, Burley, and Burley had a tremendous month of July for the cards, um, hit right at 300. He started off August just as strong. He's hit at least two home runs already in August. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, you have Connor Norby, who's in AAA in the Baltimore Orioles organization with the Norfolk Tides, and, and he's had at least 15 or 16 home runs uh, to date, and just in the last two weeks, he's let off the game, I think, in the last two to two and a half weeks uh, with a home run five times, which is remarkable.
3: Yeah, I saw I saw beyond. Not
1: not just hitting five home runs in two weeks, which which is
3: let which off the game. Makes, yeah. Let
1: off the game with a home run.
3: Yeah, so congratulations to him and uh glad to see how these pirates performing well in the uh in in the pros and hopefully more will uh make it up to the major leagues. It's only good for recruiting.
1: And and Gavin Williams, um, can't leave out Gavin. He's been pitching very well for the Cleveland Guardians. You know, and Gavin had another excellent start recently. Um probably didn't go as deep into the game as he would have liked, but um, went probably five innings, two runs on four hits. Unfortunately, Cleveland in that game on which I want to say was against the Houston Astros in Houston. Um the Guardians got no hit. So he he's really struggled not only in that game, but in others uh, to get much run support. Yeah, it out. Um you have Robert Dedrick chiming in on YouTube on Shifting back to pirate football, had not seen this comment. He said, uh, "Rajay Harris will play a significant role." Um, Mike Houston said he's back to one hundred percent. Yes, he uh, did. Mason uh, Garcia did mentioned how he, it how he helps him with the protections. Obviously, um, Rajay's been around since twenty twenty, and um, you know when it comes to identifying uh, everything that uh, needs to be identified pre-snap, he can really help and. Um, and has um, a lot of experience under his belt uh, as opposed to Mason.
3: Yeah. And said that he he hadn't been injured, which is, which is big uh, from a confidence standpoint. Now, you know, they're doing thud right now, you know, who knows how he'll react the first time he gets taken to the ground, but uh, glad to see he looks like he's back to a hundred percent practice and hadn't missed a beat.
1: Also have um, Kenneth Maynard chiming in on YouTube. Uh, Appreciate you tuning in. uh, May have um, been tuned in in the past, but I believe a first-time commenter here. Um, he says Stanford, Cal, Washington State, Oregon State, um, the Forgotten Four, as they're being referred to by the media. Uh, he said makes too much sense in the AAC with the ESPN and Eastern time zone exposure. Um, and then he said if if that does not work out um, with those remaining four schools from the Pac-12, he said Liberty may be a smart ad in the future.
3: Yeah, um, and I'm with him with those four, and then you take two from the Mountain West, and you have a 20-team conference, and you do four to five-team pods, and you can really make that work, probably get 15 $16, 17000000 per school, maybe up to $20 million. Um, You know, one thing that uh, our previous guest mentioned that I didn't even think about is the exit fees from the Pac-12. Those four stay together. The Pac-12 have a lot of money coming in with all the schools leaving. So um, that, I didn't even think about that with those four trying to stay together in the appeal of maybe being able to add some schools from the Mountain West and the American. If the schools that are being added are privy to those exit fees and it's not just going to go to those four, uh, then that could be a problem. Um, but I'm hoping uh, what will happen is they end up in the American. But it seems to never work out for East Carolina. Uh, he's right about Liberty. Um, I, think the, I think the Liberty Flames will end up in the American or the Sun Belt, I think in a hurry. They're going to dominate Congress USA, and uh, I think they're going to pretty much force their way, uh, despite people not wanting to be associated with them because of them being uh, not a Christian school but an evangelical school. I think um, I think they're going to kind of push their way into the American or the Sun Belt one or the other and, and out of uh, Congress USA uh, version 5.
1: Um, some more Pirate baseball notes um, that I, I found here. Uh, in, in my notes, um, as we start to wrap things up, um, Zach Agnos um, obviously played a, a key role on the mound late in that 2022 20, season as the Pirates made the super regional run. Um, I can't forget the way he closed out that game against UVA. Um, Clark LeClaire was electric that night. But um, Zach is thriving in that role, and he now leads all of minor league baseball with 20 saves uh, as he's pitching for the Fresno Grizzlies in low a ball. I believe that's the Colorado Rockies organization.
3: Yeah. I'm surprised he hasn't been moved up from low a ball uh, with those kinds of numbers, but uh, you know, I'm sure he will in time.
1: And earlier, I referenced Carter Spivey Carter in his most recent start uh, against Evansville um, back on August 3rd, uh, seven innings, shut out baseball, just two hits, four strikeouts and two walks. So great to see Carter doing well. And then another note, um, the Pirates obviously headed to the big house for the opener here in just less than four weeks. And, uh, Michigan uh, will be unveiling a brand new state of the art scoreboard. Uh, so, um, so that will be interesting to see on September 2nd.
3: Yeah. Live on Peacock, uh, for anybody who hasn't realized yet that yet, uh, if you want to watch Pirates play the the, uh, the Wolverine, you are going to have to subscribe to Peacock. Good thing is, it's only like five ninety five a month, uh, and it's worth it. You get the if you are a wrestling fan, you get WWE Network included with that, plus tons of movies and now uh, Big Ten football. Um, I, so Peacock is definitely the best value in streaming. So uh, that's that is how you are going to have to watch the Pirates of the Wolverines. It's part of the new Big Ten's di- the Big Ten's new television deal. So uh, uh, subscribe to Peacock if you ain't going to the big house.
1: And Kyle, I'm sure you saw this. The broadcast team for that game yeah. will be um, Mike Tarico, uh, play by play. Chris Sims, former Texas quarterback, um, son of Phil Sims, will be the analyst, and then Lewis Johnson on the sidelines.
3: It's Rico. That's big time.
1: Yep. And then uh, one other note: uh, Lincoln Riley, obviously the USC head coach, um, former East Carolina offensive coordinator. Um, very cool what he did. Um, having the first annual dave nickel health check for the usc football staff and said coaches have so often put their health off to the side i mean a very stressful job yes they're compensated very well but the demands are great and um but he says our hope is that this starts a trend around the nation to monitor these staffs and catch any issues before it's too late We, we miss you dave
3: do we ever find out? And that's great by Lincoln Riley, and a very smart thing. And a cancer survivor here who you know has to get screened every three months, be it a be it a CT scan or blood work, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, once you have cancer and see it's a serious cancer, um, it, you something you have to deal with for the rest of your life. So, um, uh, I would advise anybody to get screened. And I am glad that he's pushing uh, for that for, for college coaches. Do, do we ever do we ever find out exactly what kind of cancer Dave Nichol had?
1: I I want to say we did but um not recalling um okay I'll look um, it up. Yeah, not not recalling. No, you don't what, want
3: to say and speculate on that if we don't Yeah, I don't I don't want all. to
1: speculate on that but but um that was that was really the last thing last thing that I had um I will say, you know, promote our upcoming content uh I know on Wednesday night, Kyle um, you and Stevie Fly will have the debut episode of just another sports podcast. Um, so uh, we'll go in order here and you know, taking a look at Monday night's content. Uh, we we will have a show uh, here. Uh, no- normally we would not have a show with our general sports objective team of of myself, Kyle, and Dave and Matt on a Monday night, um, but. We, we will, up until the season, perhaps have that Monday show. Uh, tomorrow we will have J.C., Johnny Cornell of Gainesville, Florida. He was the Brian Bailey, if you will, of Gainesville, Florida, the local television station back during the Steve Spurrier years. He spent the last 20-plus in the you know, financial planner and you know, financial advisor industry. And so, um, But he he still talks sports on the regular on podcasts and radio shows in Florida, so we'll talk to him. And then we'll also have Corey Glore, the voice of the Tulane Green Wave, um, return to the show to talk about Willie Fritz Club. Um, Also tomorrow night uh, at 7 o'clock prior to our show at 830, uh, you will have Jeff Connors, another excellent conversation uh, with a former Pirate great. Uh, You had – Robert Jones last week, this week you have George Koontz, uh, Dr. George Koontz, uh, who was, as he refers not only to himself, but, um, you know, that Green Bay Packer fan base with all of his great years there in Green Bay, and he's still on the board of directors, I believe it is, for the the Packers. Um, He, you know, he's referred to as the doctor of defense. And uh, then you have – Obviously, game week on um, that final week of August, going into September, you have on the pirate preview, where we'll take a look at that Michigan game. You'll have Sonny and Simenza on each and every Wednesday night uh, where they preview, and you know, take a look as it pertains to the the betting odds in you know, five or six of the top games of the week. Stevie, and for
3: anybody that's not familiar with our show. Uh, that is that is former ECU linebacker Matt Semenza and former ECU tight end Jason Alder, who is currently an ESPN analyst uh, for Sonny and Semenza.
1: Yes. Thank you for uh, for any new listeners out there that uh, are yeah, unsure who Sonny and Semenza are. And Justin, another sports podcast. And Kyle, you know, tell folks what you and Stevie will be talking about each and every Wednesday night.
3: Yeah, I'll be joined by uh, Northeast Academy uh, head football coach Stevie Fly uh, every week as we uh, – talk pirate football uh this week we will have uh Andrew Bays from the Pirate Sports Radio Network former punter for East Carolina we're gonna break down special teams we're gonna talk about camp uh we're gonna talk about uh the 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 broadcasting situation at, at what extent Andrew Bays wants to uh and then uh we will also uh we're gonna do lists me me and Stevie are both big on lists this week's show we will have the top five most memorable season openers in Pirate football history. I'll have my top five. Steve will have his top five. If any of the listeners want to participate, have your top five ready. We'll put them up on screen. So uh, that's what we'll be doing this week during the season. Uh, We will be previewing, along with Talking Pirate Football every week, uh, whatever the, the best regional matchup is in the area, be it Coastal Carolina, Appalachian State, or North Carolina versus Clemson, Whatever the best regional matchup is in this region for that week, along with preview and Pirate Football, we will be doing that every week once the season starts, along with list, We will have a top five of some sort every week, uh, Pirate Football related. Uh, So uh, stay tuned for that and hope you guys enjoy what we're doing. Uh, Me and Steve, you will appreciate all the listeners we can get. And if you want to be the title sponsor of that podcast, uh, you can you can reach out to me on uh, on, on Facebook, reach out to Bubba on Facebook. or uh, What's our email, Bubba?
1: TheSportsOBJ at gmail.com. Again, TheSportsOBJ at gmail.com. And, you know, uh, also, kind of on a national scale, uh, we'll have uh, the Inside Slant uh, each and every Thursday night. And we'll t- take a look at some of the top games of the week um, with play-by-play voices and beat writers from around the nation. Uh, Fridays at noon, uh, we'll have a recorded episode of A Pirate's Life for Me. Our most recent episode was about a month ago um, for that specific program. It was former East Carolina defensive lineman uh, you know, Alex Turner, uh, who's now in med school out in Texas. Uh, so definitely go back and check that out. Uh, actually going to be recording an episode from for this Friday. Later tonight, it will be you know, loyal – pirate, diehard pirate, and came from a East Carolina family, has two degrees from ECU, and that is Zach Doherty um, for this coming Friday. Uh, then you'll have sights and sounds, and that's you know, when I travel to the games or perhaps videos and pictures that I get from other pirate fans uh, who are in attendance, and we'll have that for you on Saturdays. And then, of course, our pirate football playback each and every Sunday night presented by L and K custom homes appreciate former East Carolina defensive back Kevin Walker for his, um, support of the program for a third consecutive year. And so that will be where myself, Kyle, Dave, and Matt uh, take a look back at the most recent game.
3: Yeah, there you go. So, uh, you got something to watch every night, listen to it'll, it'll all be streamed live on Facebook and YouTube, then archived in podcast format. So, uh, if you, if you if you enjoy what we do, uh, tell people about it. Subscribe on YouTube. Um, like us on Facebook. Um, you know, whatever podcast format you listen to, subscribe. Uh, and spread the word. Let people know the sports objective is out there and we're keeping this thing going. And uh, one thing that uh, Bubba didn't mention is, particularly for the playback this year, uh, our Sunday show, looking back at the, at the previous Saturday's football game between the Pirates and whoever, uh, we will be taking phone calls. So, you know, everybody gets to talk on the fifth quarter, but sometimes your mind's a little clearer a day later. You have a chance to think about things and kind of give your thoughts on the on the game before, and we'll talk about the game the following week. So um, uh, every Sunday night we'll be taking your calls on the Power Football playback, which I, I think is going to be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, great point with that 24-hour rule, so to speak. I mean, uh, once you've had a chance to let the smoke clear and, uh, and maybe go back and watch some of it again, or at least uh, play it back in your head and think about uh, what transpired on uh, your perspective definitely can change. Uh, so going to look forward to taking pirate nations phone calls each and every Sunday night, but, um, I have a few more comments here. Um, Justin butts saying, uh, looking forward to another seeing season, excuse me. i um, part of my week catching you guys every night. Um, Thank I got you. y'all. I, I got got y'all's back when I'm on the road. I appreciate that, Justin. You definitely provided us with some content last year. And you know, for instance, when the Pirates traveled out to Provo, as did uh, and some other Pirate fans like Diane and Britt Ponds, I believe it was, um, or some other Pirate friends and uh, family that made that trip out to uh, BYU. But um, he says, always have you guys on in the Queen Anne's Revenge on the way back to Greenville. <laughs>
3: And if you don't know Justin Butts, uh, drives the hauler there for uh for ECU, um, for, you know, back and forth games. So uh, I'm sure he'll uh just like he did that trip to Provo, get some great pictures uh, heading into Ann Arbor and around Ann Arbor uh, as he arrives in town with the hauler.
1: No doubt. Um well Kyle, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Get out of here. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, again, be sure to follow us on social media on x on the former twitter you can follow us at the sports obj on instagram and tiktok it's at the sports objective and then like and follow us on facebook and subscribe to our youtube channel where we're closing in on 1000 subscribers but for kyle barber and then also dave richmond and Matt you've been watching and listening to the sports objective and we appreciate everyone tuning in and as always go pirates
0: One night, copy that Everybody gonna see it's go bananas Speed live, baby, don't hold back Every front, every yard, every first down Every touchdown with the cannons blast Get it on, get it all, get the wave going Like a hurricane, y'all,